So the book of Esther is a phenomenal story. It's a short story in the middle of Scripture. So unlike those books of the Bible that are all lists of people's names and laws that are really hard to read, right? The story of Esther is a story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. Uh, so it's a little bit easier to read. If you've never read it, uh, it doesn't take long to sit down and read. Uh, perhaps one or two cities. And it's written about this low period in the lives of the Jewish people. It's written about this time period when the Jewish people were captive in Babylon. So Jerusalem over here, they've been taken away to Babylon over here, and they lived in this Jewish ghetto in Babylon and then also in Susa in the Persian king's capital, the king of Xerxes. And so what we have here is a little court drama happening where Xerxes the king has all of the power and basically whatever he says is law. And he had ordered his queen Vashti to come to his party. Did you catch this party? Six months of party. Now, I've been to some parties, right? Like, I remember college. I remember the parties that some of them might last a couple of days, maybe. But six months of party. At which he said, don't let anybody's glass get empty. So everybody's having a really good time at this party. And Xerxes wants Vashti to come. Notice why he wants her to come. Not because he loves her and wants to spend time with her. Not because she's the life of the party, but because she looks good. And, and Xerxes wants all his friends to see how good his wife looks. And she refuses. Trophy wife, yeah, trophy wife. Arm candy, yeah, that too. And Vashti refuses, which is not the sort of thing that you do when whatever the king says is law. It's just kind of a bad idea. And so the king's advisors tell him to replace Vashti, to have a American Idol competition for the next queen, a Miss Universe competition for the next queen, and they do. And along comes this young woman, an orphan, and a Jew living in that Jewish ghetto in Susa named Esther. She finds favor with the king. She finds favor because the text tells us in one of those little bits that I skipped that she says the things that she knows the king wants to hear. And she doesn't tell them where she comes from. Esther can pass as non-Jewish. She can pass as Persian and not be pointed out as one of those people. 
That's the setup to this story. That's chapters one and two. We're reading Esther because I, I think Esther has something to say to us, and, and I want to be careful because we have not gotten to the main point of the story yet. But like the rest of Scripture, I think that as we dig deeper in Scripture, Scripture has something for us to say today. And so we start with Xerxes, who has everything. Everything he could want. He has enough that he can throw a six-month party. Right? I don't know about you again, but I have to save up to have a dinner party with my friends. But he can have a six-month party because he's the king, and, you know, it's good to be the king. And he calls his wife Vashti. Whom he values only because of how she looks. And only as long as she obeys. Power for Xerxes leads to this desire and this need to treat other people as only objects. Vashti isn't valued because she's a great compliment to the king, because they work well together, but just because she's a pretty thing for the king. And when she stops being a pretty thing for the king, she throw, he throws her away and finds a new pretty thing. A woman named Esther whom he loves, because she also, as the text says, is lovely to look at. He doesn't know anything about her. doesn't know that she's an orphan. doesn't know that she comes from the Jews who had been taken from their land in Palestine and Canaan and brought over. doesn't know her story just knows that she's nice to look at. As we begin this story of Esther, it's worth noting how much trouble begins to unravel when people around us become nothing more than things. something that happens with some regularity in our world. People become nothing more than those sorts of people, valued insofar as they are helpful or useful and written off as soon as they are not. And we all do it. Those people. Take your list of people and whatever it is. Republicans or Democrats. People who live in the Woodlands versus Houston folks. Southerners or Northerners. We apply our labels to one another. And write off the people that don't fit as less than. It's exactly what Xerxes did. 
he seems, despite his generosity of huge parties, to not have been particularly loved. If he caught the part at the end, his own guards are plotting to assassinate him in the midst of all this. The people that he trusts most, the ones that guard his own personal door, are plotting to kill him. People and objects. Objects and people. I want to remember an event because it's one of the newest commemorations on our calendar as a church. Uh, and it's the uh, Manual 9. If you remember the story, it was on June 15th, 2015. At a manual... African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, when a young man walked in and opened fire in the midst of their Bible study after being welcomed. Do you remember that story? We remember their names because they were people of value and worth. And that's how hatred begins, is as soon as we don't have to name people, and talk to them about those people. So we remember Clementa and Cynthia, Susie and Ethel Lee, DePayne and Tawanza, Daniel, Sharonda, and Myra. I wonder what it would look like in our world today in the midst of the situation that we are in, that we begin to use names individuals rather than talking about those people. There's a reason that as you look at the protests around our country that are happening right now, one of the refrains again and again is say their names. Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, say their names because they were people with children and parents who were loved and too often we can forget that say their names, but not just their names. We also have to remember people like Dylan Roof, who was that shooter in Charleston. Trivia fact for the day, Dylan Roof, 21 years old, six years prior to that had been confirmed in the Lutheran church down the road in Charleston, South Carolina. I wonder what he heard on Sunday mornings about the people that lived alongside him. I wonder what he didn't hear. I wonder what would have happened if in his church where he attended on Sunday mornings, he was challenged to step beyond the things that divide us and to treat those other people not as objects, but as children of God. So we remember his name too as a warning. What happens to us? We're all capable of it. We are all capable of hatred, like Xerxes, of cutting people out of our lives when they stop being useful, of treating people as objects. It starts, the gospel is clear again and again and again, it starts when we start with the name-calling, Right? Jesus says in Matthew 5 that whenever you say of another person, you fool, you are guilty. 
I come back to that again and again because it's easy to let myself off, to say that I'm not that bad. But Jesus says, whatever you say, you fool. Or you hate a brother or sister, you are guilty. And that's me. I have a long list of fools that I don't want to tolerate. Right? People I don't want to listen to because they're full of nonsense. I have names for them. Not their actual names. Right? But you, you do too. I think we all do. You fool. Beginning with that, we begin to see them as less than God's beloved children. Xerxes had everything that he could possibly need. Had everything he could possibly want. But what he didn't have was compassion and love. And that, in the midst of everything that's happening right now, take your pick of what it is. Political divides in our country, racial divides in our country, protests happening around the country, violence happening around the country, people talking past one another instead of to one another. Take your pick. And what the church has to add is exactly what Xerxes lacked. Compassion. Feeling for and with those around us. Compassion. We're going to keep reading through Esther. We've read the first two chapters, and there are a total of eight. Uh, and so we'll continue. Uh, I'm going to tell you it gets even uh, juicier as we move through this story. It really is a well-written little short story. Uh, and so if you've never read it, I invite you to spend some time reading it uh, to look at who are the villains and who are the good guys in this story. Use some titles. To look at what surprises you in this story. To look at what God calls the people to in this story. It's fascinating. One more little bit of trivia. The book of Esther, despite being in the middle of our canon of Scripture, never talks about God explicitly. God is working in this book behind the scenes through the people in this book. And so your other question is, how is God acting in this book? What is God calling the people to? Today, today I think God is calling us in the middle of all this to work behind the scenes like God does with compassion and love.